Hey friends, this is part two of our little mini-series on cosmic rays. Cosmic rays aren't really rays, of course, they're particles. Really, really fast-moving particles. Particles from space. Today we're talking about plasma physics, specifically out-of-equilibrium plasmas that can accelerate particles like cosmic rays to outrageously high velocities. For the relevant background, please check out our first episode. I hope you enjoy it, and thanks for listening. Welcome to the Field Guide to Particle Physics. This is your informal guide to the subatomic ecosystem that we're all immersed in. What might you say is the most insightful law in theoretical physics? E equals mc squared, the general theory of relativity, the quantum nature of the atom, the debates could rage for days. Looking back on my own education, I'd isolate two really important ones. The first is Newton's first law of motion. A body at rest will stay at rest, or a body moving in a straight line with a constant speed will not change its motion unless acted upon by a force. The second important law is probably Dalton's law of multiple proportions, otherwise interpreted as the modern theory of atoms. You know that everything in nature is made up of individual molecules, and those molecules are made up of atoms. These ideas run counter to much of our direct, daily experience. At least, the kind of experience we've had in common with our ancestors for thousands of years. So, please don't ask me to pick between these two. Both Newton and Dalton's laws are crucial. Putting those ideas together, which involves a lot of mathematical work, physicists arrived at the modern kinetic theory of gases. There are lots of details and lots of implications, but one way to understand it goes like this. Gases, like the air we breathe, is made up of molecules, and those molecules move at different speeds. Their average speed tells us about the temperature of the gas. The higher the temperature, the higher the average speed. But also, and importantly, the higher the temperature, the wider the spread in molecular velocities. In other words, all around you, there are gazillions of tiny molecules. And at room temperature, they're moving at about a thousand miles per hour, on average. Of course, some are moving really very slowly, but some are moving quite fast. A tiny fraction of those molecules are moving really, really, really quickly, more than twice as fast as the average. But we can't see any of it because atoms are just too small. Now, when gases made up of these atoms get really hot, individual atoms inside the gas begin to break down. Their collisions just have too much energy. The impacts are too powerful. The electrons and nuclei split apart and separate to form different components of the gas. Perhaps not surprisingly, this often, but not always, coincides with a very low density of atoms. When a gas has its charged particles ripped apart, we call that gas a plasma. And plasmas are kind of a big deal in astrophysics. If you've stood around a bonfire, you've seen a plasma. Those tongues of fire are little pockets of air where the atoms have been ripped apart by the intense heat of the burning wood. The intense speeds of electrically charged particles zipping past each other is what causes those tongues of fire to give off electromagnetic radiation. You know, light. 
We discussed another sort of plasma in our last mini-series on the Alpha Particle, where we discussed the solar wind and the Earth's magnetosphere. Of course, the outer bits of the Sun itself are something of a plasma, hence all the glowing that we see every day. And that giant plasma ball we call our Sun spits a constant stream of charged particles our way, the solar wind. The magnetic field generated by our Earth's spinning core captures much of those charged particles well before they hit the Earth's atmosphere thereby protecting it, and, by association, us. Those particles are confined to the so-called Van Allen belts, which hold the plasma, a very low-density plasma compared to what you'd see in a bonfire, thousands of miles above the Earth's surface. Magnetic fields contain that solar wind by bending the trajectories of the individual particles. The magnetic field curves their motion, that's just what magnetic fields do. The strength of the magnetic field means that those particles can, at fast move in circles. Kind of the faster the particle, the bigger the circle. Approximately, anyway. Like any gas of particles, the Van Allen belt plasma has particles moving at very low speeds and very high speeds. Some small circles and some large circles. The average speed, in part, determines the approximate size of those Van Allen radiation belts. Particles moving stupidly fast through a magnetic field, like cosmic rays from space, will also bend, but not enough to get trapped. Instead, they fly right through the magnetosphere and into the upper atmosphere, breaking apart and spreading their energy around, leaving us to contend with that debris of cosmogenic radiation. You might wonder where all those high-energy particles from space, those cosmic rays, come from. Well, there's a lot of stars in space, and consequently there is a lot of plasma. Stellar wind blows off particles from each of these stars all the time, but that's not really enough energy to generate cosmic rays. But sometimes, when those stars explode as supernovae, even more charged particles get ejected into space. Those astrophysical gases, those plasmas, often give us beautiful photographs to look at here on Earth, but don't be fooled. The density of those gorgeous gas clouds, even in star-forming regions like the Horsehead Nebula, aren't really that visible to the naked eye. I mean, even if you were right up upon them, you'd probably have to leave your camera shutter open for a bit to capture all of that light, all of that texture. That is to say, astrophysical plasmas are pretty sparse. By comparison, our atmosphere feels like a thick pea soup. The particles inside those astrophysical plasmas don't really smash into each other like they do down here on Earth. Rather, the particles interact via a longer-range electromagnetic force. Astrophysicists will sometimes call these collisionless plasmas to emphasize this fact. The gas behaves less like a game of billiards and more like traffic or a flock of birds. In diffuse astrophysical plasma, there are really three components of the gas to worry about. The electrons with negative charge, the ions with positive charge, and the magnetic field itself. The importance of the magnetic field can be felt even here in our solar system. Like the Earth, the Sun has a magnetic field, a big one, in fact. And unlike the Earth, the Sun is constantly producing a stream of energetic particles. So things are a little hectic near the surface of the Sun. Every once in a while, the sun's magnetic field gets so twisted up that a little bit pinches off. Crazy, right? It heads outward into space, sometimes towards us, and sometimes a large chunk of the outer plasma goes with it. These are called coronal mass ejections, and they're kind of a big deal. 
very out of equilibrium, as they say. Like a tsunami of plasma, a coronal mass ejection can wreak havoc on our satellites and other electronics. On Earth, these kinds of events are experienced as kind of a shockwave in the solar wind. And so far as we can tell, anyway, shockwaves, even bigger shockwaves like things you'd find in a supernova, are the things responsible for accelerating cosmic rays out of astrophysical plasmas. So what causes these shockwaves to pass through interstellar clouds of electrically charged particles through plasmas? Well, supernovae for sure. Those exploding stars can be brighter than entire galaxies, so it's probably no surprise that they're sending out a lot of sudden shocks during their expansion. But there are a few other candidates, notably neutron stars. Neutron stars are city-sized nuclei, city-sized nuclei, left over from one of those supernovae, and are really extreme objects. They're just on the cusp of becoming black holes, and the only thing keeping them from collapsing into black holes is the strong nuclear force. You know, gluons and pions and that kind of subnuclear goo, only on the scale of a city, tens of miles across. So yeah, they're very dense. So dense that the force of gravity on their surface is a couple of hundred billion times stronger than here on Earth. The gravity is so strong that we would immediately be crushed into a thin layer of nothing but neutrons if we happened to find ourselves there. That's pretty extreme. Now, just like neutrons themselves have a tiny magnetic field, the neutron star, composed of a gazillion such neutrons, can have a really big magnetic field. A massive one, as it turns out, that spins as the neutron star does, sweeping out a huge wave of electromagnetic energy. So that wild sweeping motion, together with those ginormous magnetic fields, surely has a massive impact on nearby plasmas. Shockwaves accelerate particles in a plasma into cosmic rays. But not all in one go. And not all of the particles get hit that way. It's also not like a baseball bat. It's more convoluted than that. Kind of the standard story is that some particles pass through the shockwave back and forth, picking up an enormous amount of energy as they go. And that's the standard explanation, filed under technical phrases like diffuse shock acceleration or first order Fermi acceleration that you'll find in various popular articles or technical journals. It's a funny thing to think about. The thing to keep in mind is that a gas of charged particles, this plasma, in an astrophysical sense, is very far from the normal equilibrium thermodynamics that we've experienced down here on Earth. The shockwave is, by definition, moving faster than the speed of sound. A shockwave will also very likely spread out broadly with multiple fronts, some a little ahead of the main wave, some a little behind. And this texture in the electromagnetic field can give electrically charged particles of the plasma a lot of shock fronts to bounce off of, picking up energy back and forth each time, being batted around like a tennis ball. Eventually, they get boosted to such high energy that they shoot off into space, sometimes towards us. When those high-energy cosmic rays smash through our magnetosphere and collide with the molecules in the upper atmosphere, a cascade of particle debris is formed but almost all of it decays before it hits the Earth. Indeed, down here on Earth, the vast majority of those debris particles that we can see, anyway, are muons. And those muons are going really fast, very close to the speed of light, which makes sense given the outrageous energy that the original cosmic ray had. But muons are something of a curiosity. We don't normally see muons hanging around in other contexts, you know, like chemistry, and that's because they only live for an average of 2.2 microseconds. 
And as we've learned, that's extremely long-lived by particle physics standards. But the muon's life, objectively, really isn't that long. Those muons are born way up at altitudes of nearly 30 miles, 50k above sea level. Which is good, because that's far above where humans will normally live, or even where we fly in planes. If we were to be up there, bombarded by cosmic rays and pions and, and other hadronic showers and who knows what else, we would probably get totally fried. But this presents a puzzle, because light can only travel about half a mile or so in that 2.2 microsecond lifetime. So how exactly is it that these muons can travel well over 10 times the distance without decaying? Find out next time for a full discussion of these cosmogenic muons. This has been an installment of the Field Guide to Particle Physics, a copyrighted production of the Poseidon Institute. Thank you so much for listening. For a full, free, online copy of the Field Guide, please visit our website at Poseidon.org or follow us on Instagram. We've got a lot of other resources for you there. At the Poseidon Institute, we're on a mission to build and share physics knowledge without barriers. Come learn with us. 